beginning of your life. Do you know that the Bible says that God knew you and foreordained you even before you were in your mother's womb? Isn't that wonderful? To know that God had a plan for you even up to this moment. It's always amazing to me. I'm a, I'm a history buff. I really am. And I love history. And there's parts of history or certain segments in historical time that I wish I had been living in. I really like the first part of the 19th, uh, the 20th century, excuse me, back in 1900s, the 1920s, 30s, 40s. I would have loved to have lived there. But then if I had done that, I'd be a lot older than I am right now. But those fascinate me. And I like stories from that. I read a lot of history about that time. And yet God knew that Jerry, David, was to be born in 1954. Just turned 61, by the way. Hard to believe, isn't it? I'm looking younger every day, and everybody said amen. I said everybody said amen. (laughs) But he knew that I was going to be born at a certain day, at a certain time, and a certain hour for such a time as this. And he's had a plan for my life exactly as he's had a plan for your life. And he even had a plan for Joseph's life. Now, the reason I entitled this, I am Joseph, and the reason I'm even bringing this word to you this morning, I got to stop and tell you a little story of what precipitated this. The other day, we were down in uh, Florida, Susan and I were, got a call from Sarah in the morning. Did I mention it was 81 degrees? Okay, good. (laughs) Thought I'd rub it in. And we're sitting there, and Sarah says, she's laughing. And if, if you know anything about my daughter, Sarah, I love her laugh. Because when she's tickled, she's really tickled. I mean, she just doesn't stop laughing. She says, you will never believe what happened to me this morning. I said, what? She says, Eli, the youngest at that point, two-and-a-half-year-old, come walking in. He says, hello to Sarah in her bedroom. Hello, my name is Eli. And Sarah just starts cracking up. I mean, and she says to him, did you just tell me, hello, my name is Eli? He says, yes, hello, my name is Eli, and I need a piece of cheese. (laughs) Mom, I need a piece of cheese now. And so she went downstairs and got the little kid a piece of cheese. This is what what it looked like. He had to have a piece of cheese now. He was having himself an underwear day. He wasn't going anywhere until he got himself a piece of cheese. Now, the reason I bring that up, because we were laughing our heads off about this concept in him already at two and a half years old, which I like pretty good. I think it's pretty cool. Hello, my name is Eli. Come on. Say, say it that way. Say, just follow along and play along. Hello, my name, and say your name. Hello, my name is Jerry. Yeah. You've been named for a purpose. And you've been born into this time and this season for a purpose. Now, it's not for just getting a piece of cheese, all right? But it's for a unique purpose. And I want you to see something here in Genesis chapter 45. Listen to this, starting at verse 1. And he's got it up here, verse 3, but I want you to see this. Then Joseph could not restrain himself. By the way, here's what's happened. Joseph's been almost like the assistant Pharaoh for over seven years now, probably 10 years, 11 years or whatever. And he has been elevated by God's hand all the way up into the ranks. He's been sold into slavery. You've got to just read the whole story. He was despised by his brothers and his brothers now in genesis 45 have come asking for food which joseph for the whole on behalf of the whole nation of egypt has stored away for seven years because there was prosperity for seven years and now they're in a terrible devastating famine and joseph's brothers have come asking for grain not knowing it's joseph they're talking to now that's pretty wild he's changed his appearance somewhat but He's right there. God had him born for that moment. Listen what he says. Joseph could not restrain himself when he saw his brothers before all those who stood by him. And he cried out, make everyone go out from me, meaning the whole court that he was in. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud and the Egyptians and the house of Pharaoh heard it. Then Joseph said, he's just in the room now, this big palace room with his brothers, and he says to them, I am 
Joseph. Listen to this. I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. This is the one they tried to kill. This is the one they tried to put in the pit. This is the one that they tried to to do all sorts of things, but God would not let Joseph's life be subverted by any other kind of plan of the enemy. Isn't that wonderful? And he's not going to let your life be done that way either. Uh, And Joseph said, verse 4, to his brothers, please come near me. And so they came near. Then he said again, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God, listen, has sent me to preserve life. God has sent me ahead to preserve life. For these two years, the famine has been in the land, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives to a great deliverance. Hello, I am Eli. Hello. I'm Jerry. I was born for this moment. I've been born for this reason, to preserve life. Now, I want you to take that big concept, and I'm going to help bring it down to right where you're living. Because in this room, it's an interesting thing. My story is my story unique. But your story is your story unique, and you were born for this season and for this time. I love how Joseph does this. He stated his name and revealed himself to his brothers, but no matter what he went through, and if you look at the whole story, those numbers of chapters, when you read about the story of Joseph, you see he is always restating his name. I am Joseph. He's always telling everybody, I am Joseph. Now, at first blush, you read that and you go, well, man, that guy's got a real ego. But you know what? I don't think so. I think he totally, completely understood his destiny and the hand of God that was upon him, just like it's upon every single one of you. And he said his name to keep reminding him of the promises of God that have been spoken over his life. Come on, amen. I am Joseph. I am Jerry. I am whatever your name may be this morning. That's who I am. Do you understand? He is telling it when he's in his father's house. He was not the firstborn. He's not the first, second, third, fourth, fifthborn. He's way down on the list of those that were born out of 12 kids that were born into that household. He's way down the list. And yet he is Joseph. He's going to let everybody know he's Joseph. It's like little Eli. Eli's number six out of, <laughs> and all those, in fact, in that house, I got a feeling it's one of those deals that if you're not, uh, if you're not letting everybody know what your name is and what you want, you're not going to eat. <laughs> so Eli's coming in, marching in in his underwear on that morning and saying, hi, mom, my name is Eli. I'm one of yours. <laughs> and I need a piece of cheese now. And I got a feeling this young man, Joseph, was just the same way. Dad, Mom, my name is Joseph. Come on, amen. And he was uh, was Joseph in his father's house. But I want you to know, he was also Joseph when he was thrown in the pit. He was Joseph uh, in Potiphar's house, which was uh, where he was sort of ser- serving as a slave. He was Joseph in prison, and he even was Joseph in the palace. It did not matter where he found himself. It did not matter what condition he found himself in, what circumstances he found himself working with. He was always going to be Joseph. And sometimes what happens, I do believe as believers, we lose our thinking as it relates to why God caused us to be born right now and the name he's given us. And may I add to the purpose for why we were born. We weren't born just to work uh, uh, 30, 40 uh, years, get a gold watch and retire and sit on a porch in Florida. Uh, I shouldn't have said that. Well, I didn't get the gold watch. (laughs) We weren't born for that. We were born just like Joseph for one purpose and one purpose only, to preserve life. 
We were born to be an instrument, if you would, that gives life everywhere it goes. Come on, amen? I don't care if it's your school or your workplace or your family or your neighborhood or whatever. Pastor Solo and the team are getting ready to start a series next week on the word go, I believe it is, right? Just the word, or is it, right? Am I right over that? On go, and I'm telling you, when you hear this, it's going to enlarge you in something because, and I'm sort of setting it up, if you would, because I'm telling you, God's got you here for more than just you. More than just you. If ever before we need a revival in our land, if ever before we need a new life, a surge of life, if we need a new sense of purpose and direction and everything else, we need believers who understand who they are and how they've been called and why they were born for this season to preserve life. Oh, come on, amen. And you can have life whether you're a Republican or a Democrat. You still need life. Come on, amen. doesn't matter. By the way, the government's not going to give you life. Not the kind that God gives. When he gives you life, it's freedom. I found when the government wants to give you life, it bonds bonds you to them. But let me tell you, and I'm not trying to be political with you, but I'm telling you there's a freedom that comes in God. Many of you in this room have experienced that kind of freedom. And yet he's brought you to such a moment in time so that you can preserve life for others who are in a famine right now. Amen. Oh, I love this about Joseph. I am Joseph. He never changed. And Joseph's calling, like I said, was to preserve life. That is our calling. I don't want us as believers to be intimidated by the marketplace. Don't be intimidated by the educational place. Don't be intimidated by the political base or whatever. Don't be intimidated by the world in any quarter. You are who God's called you to be, and you have been sent for a purpose. Amen. But we are the Josephs and we need, and need, and that needs, we need to be in every place that God has us. Now, that's what I understand about life. Because some of you right now might be in the Father's house. Some of you might be finding yourselves right now in a pit. Some of you might be in a Potiphar's house where you feel like you're slaving away. Some of you might be right now in a prison type of situation and you don't know how you're going to get out of it and you may even be in a palace. But no matter where you're at, you've got to get to the point like Joseph, I am Joseph. And I've been put in this situation for right now and for this time in this place. I love this about this guy. Uh, Joseph was not affected in the home. He was not afraid in the pit. He did not compromise himself in Potiphar's house. He did not get discouraged when he was in the prison. And he sure didn't get pompous when he was in the palace. He just remained who he was and who God had made him. There was no varying in him. There was no change in him. Yeah, it's tough being in a pit. It's tough when you're feeling betrayed and your brothers are ready to sell you out. And they but barely kept you alive because somebody came along and they were able to get some money off of your life. That's the ultimate betrayal. Growing up in a home where all of a sudden everything that you know is a foundation and a footing is sort of knocked out from underneath you and you get betrayed. And I'm still telling you, I am Joseph. Nothing's changed. Uh, We're going to go on a journey here. It's going to be something. But I've been betrayed. I've been hurt. I've been offended. I've been bruised and abused and everything else. But I am Joseph. Come on. Or when you find yourself sold into Potiphar's house, I'm telling you, he didn't just become some kind of little servant kind of guy in in Potiphar's house. He ended up rising to the top ranks, and he was over all the other servants. He handled Potiphar's books until the day Potiphar's wife got it in her crazy mind that she wanted a little bit of that. And she says, well, I got some designs on that. And, boy, she went after him with a... With a vengeance. She dressed herself up, put on some new makeup, and got herself some kind of uh, negligee or something like that. I got to believe Joseph saw that coming. He goes, I am Joseph. And I'm getting myself out of this mess right now. It's a hot mess. I'm out of here. 
Man, he couldn't move fast enough. In fact, he moved so fast, she caught him and kept his coat. He got out of his jacket. <laughs> He's running like crazy. I'm Joseph. I'm Joseph. <laughs> you can just hear him. I'm not going to compromise. Come on. How many times have we compromised our situation, compromised who we are to get along? Well, I don't want to lose my job. I don't want to lose my whatever. What? I am Joseph. What does that matter? I serve a God that can take care of that, can handle that. You can keep the coat. I'm out of here. Come on. Amen? It doesn't matter. You've got to get it in your mind who God's called you to be. And then before you know it, now he's accused. And Potiphar, who he who trusted Joseph with everything, the only option for Potiphar is to put Joseph in prison. Joseph's in prison. Now, it's gone from bad to worse. Has anybody in this room ever had an experience where it's gone from bad to worse? I mean, when it's bad and you think it's bad and it can't get any worse, all of a sudden it gets kicked up a notch and it becomes worse. I don't know about you, but this prison that, yeah, I hope you understand this prison that this young man stuck in here, in Joseph, it's not the type of prisons we have, which aren't that good anyhow, but this is not that. He's not watching Oprah at 4 o'clock in the afternoon down with everybody else in the prison. This is a tough, terrible, it's, it's a, a prison that's totally designed to eradicate your identity. They don't care about who you are. You do what we tell you to do when we tell you to do it, and you got a number. That's all you've got. We've been in that, some of us. I'm telling you, there's something that rose up inside of that kid. He wasn't that old. And he says, uh-uh, I'm not putting up with this. This is maybe where I'm residing right now, but I am Joseph. And I've been brought to this place, even this prison, to preserve life. And you see him doing it. You see him after a while having such favor and such blessing of the Lord on him that the jailers start putting him in charge of great swaths of that prison. And before you know it, because he knows who he is, he's there interpreting dreams. And at one point near the end of that stay in prison, he's interpreted a dream. And he says, sir, here's the dream. You're going to die, but sir, you're going to live between two guys. He's there to preserve life. He's there to speak as an oracle of God, even in the middle of a prison. Now, I need to stop here and tell you, if you're in prison today, or if you're in a pit today, you've got to get something up about you that says, I am, and put your name in there. I am who God called me to be. I am Jerry. And it may be bad right now, but God brought me here to preserve life. Some of you that are new here don't know that this church was birthed about 26 years ago. Susan and I came with two little kids, a dog and a rubber tree plant. That was about it. And don't you think for a moment that in 26 years, 25, because I stepped down last year, 25 years, that we didn't have days, Susan and I did, where we felt nobody around us, although there were, don't, I'm not being critical, but we felt alone. We felt despondent and despair. In fact, we felt ourselves in prison. We felt ourselves thrown in a pit. And we had to get at some point in us. The options were there. Don't you know there's always options? You can always sell out. You can always cave. You can always compromise. There's always an option to the, the vision that God has for your life. But you don't think there were options. I'm telling you, there were guys that knew what I was going through here and called me, my friends, and said, hey, just leave it. Just leave it. Just walk away. We'll take care of you. We've got a place for you. Come over here. Da, 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 da. You don't think I thought about that? But I had to determine just like you've got to determine, just like Joseph had to determine, I am Jerry, and I was sent to Lincoln, Nebraska, 
to preserve life. I wasn't sent here to build a big church. Wasn't sent here to do all, any of those. I was just here to bring life. And you've got to be the same way. Where you're at right now. That's what you've been called to do. Well, I'm going to keep preaching. I need to get on here. By the way, it's interesting. Even when he gets to the palace, he's given title. <laughs> but you know what? Title is no substitute for testimony. What you go through, that's your testimony. That's why you're standing where you're standing. And if one day you get to stand in the palace, you got there because of your testimony of having gone through the pit and having gone through the prison and having gone through everything else. You're there because you went through. I, I can't tell you how proud I am even of the team and all of you that have walked through this transition. There's a few that have left and, well, we don't like to, we like Pastor Jerry's preaching and all that. Come on. Are you kidding me? But you've walked through it and it doesn't matter because you know what God's called you to do and be. There's something remarkable about that. Oh, my goodness. He was not discouraged in the prison, and he was not pompous in the palace. Now, let me give you real quickly three stages, three stages of Joseph's life. First off, and this is where you may find yourself. This is the survival stage. This is the survival stage. Then the second stage is the success stage, and the last stage is the significant stage. I want to just hit these real quick with you. i got a few moments to do that. Amen? All right, good. Survival stage. Let's look at this. Number one, uh, mark these scriptures down. Genesis thirty-seven nineteen. Here's these young boys, uh, uh, his brothers, and they, they're so jealous. Have you ever had anybody jealous of God's blessing on your life? Have you ever had that? I, I've had that. It is just funny. You can't do a thing about it. I mean, they will get mad. People get mad, and you can't do a thing about it. I have watched people get jealous because God's blessing uh, uh, is on so, so-and-so's life. And you, you just got to take that. Uh, these brothers said to him one day, uh, said out loud, look, the dreamer is coming. And in Genesis, the next ch- uh, verse, chapter 37, verse 20, they go, oh, here he comes. He's called a dreamer right from the beginning of his life, by the way. Now, I like that about Joseph. I, I'm a dreamer myself. I really am. I like to have dreams. I, it's funny. I was talking to Eleanor. I was driving her to church this morning. It's neat. The way I approach life, we were talking about that a little bit. And I'm not sure that we're not the same, but we were talking about our differences a little bit. And the way I approach life is I always look at life in segments. I've always done that. I enjoy, uh, oh, I know what caused it because we pulled out, we, we, uh, when we're home, we, we rent a house from Sharon over there by my old neighborhood. And uh, Eleanor said, oh, I can't even walk down the street from where my old house used to be. It just makes me, oh, I just don't like seeing it, uh, you know, because it's somebody else's house now. And she says, doesn't that bother you? Because I went right past my old house right there. I said, no, I just, that's somebody else's house now. I don't think in terms of it being my house. And we were sort of talking about that. But the way I approach life is I approach it in segments. I'm in this segment right now, and then I'm in the next segment and all that. So even now at 61, <coughs> I don't sort of sit around going, oh, I'm getting old. I, I really don't think that way. I think about, well, boy, this is going to be fun. This is going to be enjoyable. And then I look at a guy like Doug Hitt, and I go, oh, my God, maybe I don't want to get old. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No, 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 no. And so, I mean, I approach it this way, and I go, wow, okay, another adventure, another kind of turn in the road. But I tell you what, what doesn't leave you, even when you come upon a new season, is the idea, I'm Joseph. I am Joseph. He gave me a dream long time ago, and I'm still going to live out that dream. Come on, amen? God's got to give you a dream for your life. In fact, I dare say it's not that he has to do it. He's already done it. You need to discover it. He has a dream for your life. Paul over in Philippians talked about in almost sort of characterizing it this way, that Jesus Christ on the cross looked down into history and saw you coming one day and said, that's why I'm dying. He had a dream in his eye, a dream in his mind about you and what your life would do and how your life would impact in 2015. And he said, that's why I'm going to the cross. Because I see that the dream's going to come true. 
And here you and I sit. He's given me a dream for my life. Man, it's got good stuff in it. It's got kids and grandkids serving God. And I've told you before, if those grandkids don't, I'll kill them. Take every one of them out that don't. You either raise your hands or die. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Some of you are going, wow, he's a real tough pastor. I didn't know. <laughs> no. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's got all sorts of dreams. In fact, you know what my biggest dream is? Is to watch my kids and then my grandkids, and if I live long enough, to watch my great-grands come along and serve God who has given them a dream and watch their dreams explode all over the place. Oh, my goodness. I spent a day or a half in Chicago this week with Luke and Jill and the kids. Uh, that's my son and his family. Man, God is just bringing to pass every one of my dreams concerning Luke and Jill. All the way God's favor is on him in his job and in his church. He had me there Wednesday because, I mean, I'm just getting excited about all this. And it's just life and you're living and God's called me to preserve life. He's going to an e-free, evangelical free church over there, loving it. And it's a growing, expanding church. And the pastor approached him about a month and a half ago and said, can I have a meeting with your dad? He says, I I don't know what to do about some growth issues that I'm having. And so I met with them all day Wednesday, him and his team. And the guy wants to figure out how to bring foundation stones into the teaching of the church because he's got such an eclectic crowd. And he's got Catholics and Lutherans and everybody's got their own opinion. He says, we're all sort of scattered all over the chart. And I've got to bring this whole thing together. And also... He's been filled with the Spirit just recently along with his one pastor, and they're the only two in the church. And he says, we've got to get everybody filled with the Spirit. I go, well, I think I can help. (laughs) You understand? But it's sort of like every dream. And Luke is going, oh, Dad, thanks for coming. And, And Luke's going to be instrumental in helping that and all that. But that's the dream. It's coming to pass. Do you understand? I am Joseph. I am Luke. I am uh, Sonny. I have been sent to preserve life. It doesn't matter what your name is. But there's that survival stage. Now, in the survival stage, here's what happens. He went from... Dreaming with his mouth open, because Joseph was a bit of a braggadocious in his young age. He went from dreaming with his mouth open to dreaming with his eyes shut. Now listen, with his eyes shut, eyes on God rather than himself. Sometimes when you're in the middle of something that's survival mode, how many know sometimes you almost got to shut your eyes and lock it out? Because you'll lose the dream because you're looking at all kinds of environmental things. You're looking at all sorts of circumstantial things. Sometimes you've got a dream, and the only way you can get the dream alive is to shut your eyes. And I'm not saying bury your head. I'm just saying shut your eyes because you're looking at the wrong thing. You're putting your vision, you're putting your dreaming capability on a circumstance, and that's not going to produce the dream that you want. You've got to get back and see God. Come on, amen? You've got to sort of uh, meditate and concentrate and put your heart and mind and set it on God and the things that he's called you to be and do. And you can sometimes only do that when you shut out some of that other stuff. Come on, you really do. All the naysayers and all the people want to put you in a pit today and put you into slavery and everything else, you've got to go like this. And sometimes you just got to shut your eyes. Because the only voice and the only person you need to see at this point is Jesus Christ himself. You need to hear from God. When your mouth is open about you, there is never any room for God. Come on now. I'm going to say it again. When your mouth is open about you, there's never any room for God. Now, I've been in the ministry long enough. I've met a lot of ministers in my business, my profession, who keep their mouths open about them. And I'm always looking for God. What did I do? What did I do? You didn't do anything. You know who gave us this piece of land and gave us this building? God did. I was instrumental and with some of the others to help try to figure it out and sort of coordinate it and all that. But God gave us this. God gave you your children. God gave you your grandchildren. God gave you your home. God gave you your job. Had nothing to do with you. Amen. 
fact, it says in the Bible, God reigns on the just and the unjust. And that's not just bad reign, that's good reign. Sometimes you look at people and they're blessed and you go, well, they don't even serve God. How are they blessed? God did it. He did it for a reason. Come on, amen. God can milk the goats if he's got to. He sure can. All right? Now, that's the survival stage. Let me tell you about success stage. Now, in the success stage, he's dreaming here, Joseph is, with his eyes wide open. Blessing with everything he did. He inherited from his father the attribute, Joseph did, of going beyond what is expected. You know, Jacob was that way. Actually, Isaac was that way as well, and so was Abraham. Something was in his framework. Something was in him. By the way, his father, Jacob, if you remember, was the one that went for a wife back in the Bible. Went for the wife. The father said, you want that one? You first got to work seven years. And after he worked seven years, he gave him the twin sister. And Jacob says, well, man, I didn't work seven years for the brown-eyed one. I worked seven years for the blue-eyed one. And Laban, the father-in-law, boy, this is a tough father-in-law. He said, well, you want the blue-eyed one, you work another seven years. Guess what Jacob did? He had a dream. He says, great, I'll work another seven years. Here we go. Well, that same tenacity is in his son Joseph. You think you're going to stop me with a pit? You think you're going to stop me with a prison? You think you're going to stop me with all this? God has sent me to preserve life. I'm getting this thing done one way or the other. Come on. Amen? you got to get a tenacity about you. And by the way, you do it without complaint. You do above and beyond what is expected of you without complaining. You don't worry about what everybody's seeing, what you're going through and all that. And listen, uh, because of that and because of Jacob's work in Laban's house, do you know what? Jacob was blessed. He really was. He was a doer. And he was a doer even because his mother, Rebecca, who, who was Abraham's wife, was also a doer. And, and if you remember her, she drew water for all the servants' camels. She didn't stop with one uh, bucket of water. She just got them all d- taken care of. I'll tell you what, I love that. When God has a guy or a gal who will go beyond what is just the minimum, just the bare minimum, and do all that they can do and all they've been called to do, That's who he blesses every single time. My Lord, if you're thinking in terms of just a little prayer at lunch or something like that, go beyond a little bit. Start getting a prayer life generated. If you're thinking in terms of just a 10% for tithe, I dare you to go to 20%. Watch how God will bless you. Come on. Well, it's always money. No, it isn't money. Because if it's not working in the money, it's not going to work in anything else, actually. So you've got to get to this state where you go, you know what? I've been born for such a time as this. I'm here to preserve life. I'm giving it all. Here we go. Until the day I lay my head down and take my last breath. And then it won't matter. But in the meantime, I'm giving it all. Come on, amen. Oh, man. And the Lord says because of that, the Lord was with Joseph everywhere he went. Every time you read about whatever he's going through, the Lord was with Joseph. Didn't matter. He's in a pit. The Lord was with Joseph. Didn't matter. He's in Potiphar's house. The Lord was with Joseph. Didn't matter. He was in prison. Doesn't matter. The Lord was with Joseph. Don't you want somebody to say that about you? Look at that gal. Look at that guy. Everything they do, even when they go through stuff, God's with them. God's doing something. Now, here's the biggest one. I love this level. It's the significance level. Genesis 45, 7 says this. Uh, Did I? Oh, I pulled it off here. Hang on. Well, you can read it later. Here's the idea behind it. We are either chasing success or at some point in our life, we're going to chase significance. I've had this in my mind for a little bit. The transition that I went through here with this, all that I'm doing. People, I I hope you understand. In fact, if you don't, I'm going to help you understand. 
Do you know, and it's not because of anything I did or Pastor Solo did or the team, that this transition, people are talking about this outside of Lincoln and inside of Lincoln. How smoothly it went. How there were no bumps in the road. How just went from one generation to the next generation. Some of them that can't see right say how it went from a white pastor to a black pastor. That's fine with me. But they're talking about it in the circles that I run in. How'd you do it? How'd you get that done? What'd you do? I'm doing my finishing my doctoral dissertation on this actually. I've got to get that done. <laughs> Kwame, you gotta help me, buddy. All right. Jesus help me. I'm in the pit. <laughs> No, they're talking about it. But here's the significance behind it. I've watched this even in parenting. I've been around long enough now to watch. There's something about a man or a woman who understands the concept that it's not all about them, but it changes their ability to have a life of significance. Now, I want to express something when I say that. Here's what I mean by that. You can either chase your own success and you can arrive at that goal, have a very successful life, or you can in turn, in a better turn, try to achieve significance. He was sent to preserve life. He was not sent to be number two in Egypt. That wasn't what he was living for. He was not living for vice president. He was not living for title. He was not living for the glory and the, and the accolades and the, the power and the authority that comes from being number two. He was not born for that. That was a byproduct of where he was at now. But he was born Not to achieve success. He was born to achieve significance. That's hugely different if you didn't catch it. That's in his mind. He states it over and over again. Listen to the significant statement. I am Joseph and I was sent ahead to preserve life. You don't even hear anything of ego in that statement. I'm not living for me. I'm not living for myself. I'm not doing this to make a name for Jerry. I'm doing this because I was sent along to preserve life. Now, I'm going to help you with something. That has actually got to be every parent in this room's understanding. I'm not here to have a big pastel of children and then... (laughs) I didn't have only but two, but that was enough for Susan and I. We we got nervous. My hand started shaking after the second one was born. <laughs> I knew I had to quit right then. Solo, I looked at his hand. I said, put your hand up. He just stayed as a, just like this, just steady as anything. So there's some more coming, I'm sure. <laughs> but I'm telling you, even how you look at your kids, parents, You're not there to just have your own success. You're there to build in your life significance. And it's only when others come along and they're successful that you are significant. It's about influence. It's about preserving life. It's about what you're going to touch. Listen, he lived, Joseph did, for a bigger cause than himself. That's the whole thing about Joseph. Everything he did was for more than just him. When he had the dream years ago as a kid, it was for more than just about him. Now, he had to grow into that a little bit, and we understand that. But this stage, at, at the significant stage, means you don't dream just for yourself. But now, listen, here's where it gets good. You dream for others. You dream 
for others. You look to leave a legacy, and the only kingdom legacy we can possibly leave is the investment in others. Pastor Jerry, how'd that transition go? I had to get to my mindset. I'm preaching my dissertation. It just occurred to me. I had to get to my mindset that I'm not building something with Jerry David's imprint and name on it. I walk in here. Some of you that are new don't even know who I'm in, I am. I, I, I'm really sort of upset there's no picture of me on the walls anywhere. <laughs> My God, my God, have you all lost your mind? (laughs) But you know what? Early on when we built this thing, we knew we weren't building for Jerry. We're building not even for Solo. We're building to leave a legacy to preserve life. And if we build it right, talking about the church for a second, it'll go even beyond Solo. Come on. It's a healthy church. A dysfunctional church is one that built it just for their generation. And the minute the senior guy dies, church is dead. The minute the senior guy leaves, church is dead. The minute any kind of little wind comes along, church is dead. You don't build for that. But in the same turn, you don't build your family for that. If it's all about you, mom and dad, you're missing the mark. You're building a legacy. You're having children to have a legacy. You want, listen, do you understand at some point, you want your children to do better than you? Come on, amen. Yet how many times have I run into parents who are jealous of their kids? And I scratch my head on that. I go, what is going on here? Well, I'm just going to have to knock knock him down a little bit because he's getting too big for his Let him go. Let him do. He will probably, she will probably make more money in their lifetime than you did. And have bigger titles than you did. Ooh, that hurts. But it's how you're looking at life. You look to leave a legacy. And this is not just dreaming now with your eyes open. Remember, survival is dreaming with your eyes shut. Success is dreaming with your eyes open. But now you are dreaming through the eyes of others instead of your own. How can I make you successful? How can I enlarge you and you? What's your dream? What's your dream? What can I do to help your dream? I think most people never get to that point. Do you agree? A lot of selfish people in the world. Well, I'm so-and-so. Well, good for you. But what legacy have you left? Who are you? I'd rather actually, when it gets down to it, be known as Solo's father-in-law than Pastor Jerry David. Because then I've done my job. I'd rather, when it gets down to it, be known as Luke's dad than Bishop. Whatever. Dr. Bishop. Ooh, my God. Oh, say it again. Say it again. It just, oh. uh, do you understand what I'm saying? And that's how it's got to be wherever you're at. Listen, let me help you with this. That actually works even at the job. If you're more concerned about what you are and who you are and how they see you at your job, you're not going to get a level of success out of it. I don't doubt that. But you're not going to the next level of significance. And you know what's so neat about this? What is so wonderful when you get into your mind you were sent to preserve life is this. In fact, this is the stage, by the way, where all insecurities and all fears are now fully dealt with. I don't have an insecurity. I don't care if you don't bow down. It doesn't matter. I don't care if you I don't care if you don't know mine. It doesn't matter. My insecurity is not bothered by that. I've dealt with that. 
I'm living for others. I'm going to do this real quick. The difference between success and significance is this. Number one, it's motives. But number two, and I've got to go fast, it's influence for yourself or for other people. It's number three is time. There it is. They're up there on the board if you want to write them down, which means success people are successful in their lifetime. But you know what? Significant people are successful past their lifetime. Now, that's cool. That's cool. It's good to be successful in your lifetime. But how much better to be successful past your lifetime? Boy, and this, I'm going to just put it where I like it. Papa, he was a great man when he was around. He taught us a lot of things. He moved us in the direction we needed to go. And we're going to have our kids and our grandchildren, and they're going to do the same thing all because of what Papa did. That's what the kids call it. That's what I'm living for. I don't care if I never preach. I told her this morning. I honestly am at the point, if I never preached another sermon, it would not bother me. I really don't care. I'm not that impressed with my preaching, and you shouldn't be either. But I want to make sure I leave a legacy. I want to go out significant. I did something. I dreamed through other people's eyes and got them involved, engaged in their dream. And off they took. And I had a little part of that. Why? Because I am Joseph and I was sent to preserve life. I went through all of that junk to preserve life. That's what I did. I did it. There you go. That's my message. Now, well, I didn't get rid of the others. Oh, folk time, focus. Happiest when other people are doing well. That's my focus. I am. I just love it. Solo, you don't know this, but I, I don't put any, unless I'm asked, I don't put any input back into this thing at all. He did not check with me before he painted those walls. Or he would have heard about that. I'm just kidding. I love him. I really do. I would have never thought of it. But I tell you what, he talks to me every week. And you know what? I get off the phone. I tell Susan, I just love it. I said, it is the coolest thing how good he's doing. I'm excited for him. And then my son Luke calls me and tells me God's blessing him and his job at United. He is like one step away. This kid started. I made him go back and reapply. He, he failed the first test at United out here at Lincoln. And I said, well, you're going to go back, and you're going to lay on the ground. You're going to wallow in tears and grief and everything else, and you're going to beg them to give you a second chance to fly out to Denver to take this test. He aced it on the second time. He's not a good test taker. Started by part-time tossing bags in a plane underneath the little airplanes out here. And now 15, 16 years later, he's one step away, probably before he's 40, of being vice president, one of the vice presidents at United. I love when he calls me. Dad, do you know what's going on? Here we go. Yes. Yes. Do you understand? And now I'm sort of sitting around waiting for those grandkids to get big enough to do the same thing. And then when I hear about what you're doing and what you're doing, I read about you, man, in the paper not too long ago. And I'm looking at that, and I'm because I look on the online, you know, and, I, and I'm looking at that. And I'm going, oh, man, go, go, go. And I'm, I'm just loving it because of how God's using your life. And you've got a dream. Come on. That's what God wants to do for us. And here's the very last one. You can come up if you want. This reward. Listen, success brings you reward. Significance brings others reward and worth. Isn't that good? Success will always bring you reward. If you want reward, go to the success level. You'll all make it. I don't have any doubt in you. But if you want significance, if you want to get to the Joseph place, I'm telling you, 
reward will be in others, and it will make you the happiest you've ever been. Do you know why Joseph cleared out the whole palace room? Because he was so happy, and his happiness was in tears. He wasn't grieving. Oh, I went through all of this because of, oh, my God. He was so happy to see them because all the loose ends got tied up in an instant right there. I was sent ahead of all that mess to preserve your life. You can not only have a little bit of food, I'm going to load up your donkeys with bags of grain and gold and everything else. I'm going to make you guys so you don't even get a a bump in the road with what God's going to do in your lives. Wow. That's why God had him right there. And by the way, that's why God has you right where you're at right now. But you've got to get something straight. That's why we're going to take communion in a few seconds. You've got to get all the brokenness healed. And you've got to walk in righteousness before God. You can't. And by the way, I'm not talking just about sin. I'm talking about you. How many know anytime you are in the way, you can't do what you need to do? Because you're all about you. And something about the blood of Jesus covers us and should cause us to be repentant of you. Come on, amen. Amen. Lord, it's not me. It's all about you. And that's why we're going to worship this morning. So these folks that are going to come, I want you to come now. We're going to pass communion out to you. This is an open communion. Everybody's welcome who know the Lord here. This is not just for Lincoln City Church people. But as we do, I want you to hold the the elements until we're all served. And then we're going to worship and we're going to apply this word to our lives. Come on, stand with me, would you please? Let's sing this song, would you? Savior, he can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save forever. Author of salvation, heroes and conquer the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. Savior, he can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save forever. Author of salvation, heroes and conquer the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. Everyone needs compassion, love that's never failing. Let mercy fall on me. Everyone needs forgiveness, the kindness of a Savior.